Good morning, church. Microphone's working. Emma, how's it going up there? All right. For those of you who don't know, my daughter Emma is our uh, AV slash streaming slash slide manager. And uh, she's the one putting up with whatever new technology was occur. I got a thumbs up, so she could be lying. She could be hopeful. <clears throat> hopefully it's going smooth. If you're watching online, hopefully it's crystal clear and things are working great. If not, should have come to church today. I don't want to tell you. <clears throat> it's pretty clear in here. I'm not hopefully going to crash. We'll see. What's that? F- still foggy? The seat up here, Bruce. You can move closer if need be. Uh, it's great to see everybody. As, as Mike mentioned, we're in 2 Corinthians, moving our way through. Uh, three chapters left. I'm doing the next three sermons, and then we'll be going back to the future, or I guess, back to the Old Testament, uh, is in our future as a church. But we're really, really looking forward to that, especially Ezra and Nehemiah, Old Testament books, but they have amazing uh, correlation to the church of today and the way that we do things today. So it, it is going to be really fun. Hopefully you'll be sticking around for that. Uh, but today's sermon is called False Prophets and You. There's a theme that's happening as we get to the second half of Second Corinthians. And the theme is Paul's um, concerned about boasting. And uh, he, today he's going to be talking about false prophets and how boasting and false prophets oftentimes go hand in hand. So as we read this together, if you've got your Bible, 2 Corinthians 11, if not, it'll be on the screen. And uh, read with me, please. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we seek to understand uh, what your word says, how it applies to our lives, Lord, help us to uh, take any preconceived notions, maybe past understandings, and put those aside and be able to look at this with fresh eyes today, Lord. Help us to take this opportunity to study your word together and treasure it and make the most of it, Lord. Uh, Your word will change our lives and change the lives of those around us, people that we love, people that we don't love, Lord. It has great power. Help us not to squander that power today or to dampen it at all um, with whatever we might bring to the table, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to study together. It's in your sons I may pray. Amen. False prophets and you. So let's get ready for sarcasm. If you know me well, I love metaphor. I love sarcasm. I love all these things. I think they're wonderful teaching tools. But sometimes it can be cutting and biting and not nice, and I try not to do that. But this chapter is chock full of it. Several chapters are, but this is a great example. Paul is trying desperately to help them detect lies. That's fundamentally what he's talking about. How can you tell if someone's lying to you? Are they teaching something that's not true? Paul seems to be very well aware of who these false prophets are. He's not like, there could be, I don't know. It sounds pretty definitive. They are there. They are wreaking havoc. You guys are falling for it. Stop that. And he wants these believers to see for themselves. 
He's not naming names here. It's okay to name names. If there's somebody doing something wrong and you want to say, this is what I'm talking about, this is the exact example, that's fine. But in this case, Paul's trying to transcend that. It's not avoid these four people, because once those four people are avoided, four more will show up. This is a never-ending line. It's been 2,000 years, and we're still dealing with false prophets today. So Paul's wisdom is more than just steer clear of the following people. It's learn how to detect for yourself. I think this may be my favorite first line of a chapter. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Um, so I let the record show that logic is biblical. What, what Paul's approach here is, is a very logical approach to what comes first and what comes later. Here's what we're looking for. Here's what the goal is. Here's what they're trying to accomplish. Here's the manner in which they're going to accomplish it, and here's what the kind of thing you need to look out for. This isn't a list of do's and don'ts, right? This isn't a, 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 another Ten Commandments of steer clear of this, and you won't have to worry about false prophets. You do need to think. You need to consider. You need to test teaching. And sometimes it's Quite frankly, it's easier to communicate a point with extremes. It's illogical for me to say that I'm a believer in Jesus, but I cling tightly to sin in my life. One of those two things is not true. It has to be. Now, you can be on a spectrum towards sanctification, but if you're not able to even admit sin, if you can't even say that this is wrong and I I know that it's a problem and I'm trying to get better at it with the Lord's help, I'm going to overcome it eventually, even if it takes till I'm off this earth then you're sitting in a place of either I don't believe that what Jesus said is true or I do believe it's true and I'm not sinning but I'm lying about sinning. But these two things are incongruent. It's illogical. It can't be that way. It has to be something in between. And so what Paul's going to do in this chapter is communicate this point using an extreme, right? He, and he, he begs the question a lot about like, go with me here. I'm acting like a fool. I'm talking like a fool. What I'm saying is not true, but I'm saying it this way to make you think and help arrive at the same point that I'm trying to postulate. If, if the extreme situation were true, if boasting is good, then what's Paul going to be boasting about? Right? We hear Paul, don't boast, and then boasts about all these things he's doing. But what he's doing aren't boastworthy. Right? The reason he's doing it is to demonstrate, this is all that I've got to boast about. And I'm not going to boast about it because it's not boastworthy. So it's evident here that Paul loves this church so much. He even says he feels a divine jealousy. And this is like maybe a parent being jealous of their kid's wasted efforts. <clears throat> These aren't people like, I'm jealous you guys don't spend time with me. It's not that kind of jealousy. Or, you know, you listen to those false prophets and it hurts my heart. Paul, I, I thought I was your pastor. That's not his jealousy. What he's talking about is this jealousy of I care for you. And when I see you squandering your time and your resources and your talent and your love and your grace and mercy, all these gifts, you're wasting them. Following these false teachers, doing what they say spinning your wheels, giving them your money, giving them your time, putting stock in what they're saying to you. It hurts his heart. He's jealous of that time. He wants that time spent for ministry. He wants their time dedicated to Christ, not this nonsense. Note that Paul's not calling them names. He's not standing here saying, you idiots, you morons, you're a disappointment to me. I can't believe you. I'm so ashamed of you. You know, I don't even know that you're saved. He's talking to them as if they are believers. But if you're believers, some of these things got to be squared away. You got to account for it. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but you got to understand what's going on. And I think lastly, what we see here is these folks are kind hearted, but they're not discerning. That's, that's a much different approach. I'm sure any of us can think of an example of somebody who we care for deeply, who is so nice, willing to give of their time, sacrifice themselves for others, getting taken advantage of by somebody who is not 
after their best interest, right? Senior citizens getting scammed endlessly by phone calls. Hey, I need money for this. I need that. Okay, let me help you out. And they find out they just lost $3,500 because somebody tricked them, scammed them right out of it, took advantage of their lack of discernment and their kind-heartedness and wrung them dry. That's what Paul's talking about here. The guilt is on the false teachers. Let me make this very clear. Somebody that spouts lies in the name of Christ will be condemned by Christ. I don't think there's really any way around that. Can you repent? And be? Yes, you can. But if you don't, sayonara, it's over. Those that fall victim will be held account for the sins in that regard. But what Paul's trying to do here is to short-circuit that for them. Let me tell you the truth. Now you have to hear it. You either have to make a decision to ignore what Paul says or to at least pursue what Paul's saying. He's not condemning them for what they've done. He's understand that these folks are not helping you. What they're telling you is a lie, and it will destroy you. So then, well, how do I know, Paul? And Paul describes a false prophet. Great four bullet points. These work great today, by the way. Write them on a card, give with you. How can we find a false prophet? They're proclaiming a different Jesus than Paul proclaims. So it's all this other stuff, but also he worships trees. False prophet. Well, but he's, you know, there's 25 good things. I helped this old lady across the street. I helped my neighbor reshingle the roof. I parked a car. I walked the neighbor's dog. I, uh, kid fell down. I treated him, and then I murdered five people at the mall. But look at all the good things I did. I mean, we're going to talk about one bad Yeah, that one bad thing is where you're going to be in court. Nobody cares about the other five. You're a false prophet. One untruth, one difference in Jesus. They bring a different spirit than the spirit that Corinthians received. I find this one, this, there's a whole sermon series based on this idea, but Paul's talking about detecting and testing spirits. We've seen that in the Word. We don't talk a lot about that today, right? But with them's coming this spirit that's not the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of life. It's a spirit of death or greed. It changes people, and they start acting foolishly and doing bad things, getting consumed with themselves and the way that they look and act. They claim a different gospel than the one the Corinthians received, right? The good news is the good news that Jesus came and died and you get to live forever? Is the good news that you're healthy? Is the good news that your family is well-to-do? The good news that they found a valuable resource on your land and you've inherited a farm and we can use that to further the work of the church and take, 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 and that's all good news. Your ability to give is good news. That's a gospel. It's a false gospel. That's the gospel that's being preached. And then Paul uses the term super apostles, which I just can't get enough of. That sounds like a term that I would use, and I have to say Hecox standard. This is right out of the word. Super apostles are only super at deception. That's where the expertise lies. They call Satan the father of lies. There's a reason for that. Every scumbag false teacher that's ever existed is masterful at crafting lies. Ultra good at deceiving. Selling you this, giving you that. Telling you this, selling you that. I mean, wait a minute, what we started talking about, somehow I ended up here, I don't even understand what happened. Yeah, little tiny deceits all the way along the way. Nine truths, one untruth. Eight truths, two untruths. Pretty soon you don't remember what the truths and the untruths are, it all blurs together. And it breaks Paul's heart. Paul goes on to say there's more to being an apostle than speaking. I love this because I don't know about anybody else, but I think of Paul as a very resolute a biblical character. His words are incredible in the book. I mean, he defined theology as we know it today. But here in the last two chapters, we talked about this in small group today in 10, here in 11, he seems to, to, to align himself with maybe not a very good public speaker, not an orator. He's good at writing. He knows a lot of things, but maybe he struggles to put words together. 
Maybe he's not a super good arguer, right? He can't debate very well. Paul stipulates that these prophets, they're better speakers. They're maybe a little bit more eloquent, easier to listen to. But he will not admit that they know more. I like that a great deal. They may, they may sound smarter than me, but they are not smarter than me. Sounds boastful, perhaps, huh? All Paul's really talking about here is, I know the truth. <laughs> what they're saying is not the truth. So they clearly don't know more than me about the truth. What they're telling you are lies. And Paul reminds the Corinthians of all that he has taught them. Right, this is one letter of two letters that we have in Scripture. But there were probably endless communications. He's been present many times. Think of the teaching. Think of the, what we're looking at in two letters and the, the, the guts the fundamentals that he covers in the letters. And these would have been reminders and refreshers. In person, he covered a great spectrum of understanding about who God was, who Christ was, what Christ did, what that means. They should and likely do know better. I put this here because this, is a, this was a saying that I grew up hearing a lot. You know better than that. My gosh, I heard that all the time. Because I made bad choices, right? I wanted to do something that didn't make any sense. Why'd you do it? I don't know. I don't know. I thought it'd be fun. I wondered if... I didn't know if a toaster would break if I threw it at a wall or something. Like, you do know it would break. You know better. That's what Paul's saying. I heard this from my mom growing up all the time. You know better than that. You know better than that. I mean, I can hear that echoing. You know better than that. You know better than that. That's Paul. Did my mom not love me? No, she did. She cared a great deal, and she had taught me many things and expected me to retain the tiniest bit of that. And time, from time to time, probably seemed to her as if none of it stuck. <clears throat> the gospel for free... Oh, yes. Paul preached to them for free. Well, free to them. Now, this is really critical. Uh, I, in, in studying for this, I don't know that I've ever really noticed this. I've always kind of glanced, oh, yeah, it's good news. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's a free gift. We've all said it. But what, ta- what Paul's talking about here is not just the notion that the gospel doesn't cost me anything, that it's a gift from God. What Paul's saying is his presence there didn't cost them anything. The, the worldly function of Paul's ministry this building costs something. These lights cost something. We pay money for this. That's, that's the reality. But when we take our ministry and we go somewhere, what Paul's saying is they didn't pay for this. Paul did not accept support from those who he was ministering to. The Corinthians did not finance Paul's ministry to the Corinthians. He asked nothing from them. He came. He gave them good news. He taught. He was clothed and fed. Several of them, most likely, especially in their culture, probably offered donations. Can we help you? Can no, thank you. It's okay. It's all taken care of. I am here. I don't want to be beholden to anything. Paul knows full well, if I stay in one person's house, I got to stay in all their houses because if I take off, they'll say, well, Paul, stay with me. So there's a special blessing on my household. Now, we might all roll our eyes at that, but we do that today for sure, right? If somebody comes to town and it's a mucky muck and they stay with somebody, I was like, well, why'd they stay with you? That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, he was in our house. It was pretty neat. She came over and spent the entire, the entire afternoon with us. Wow. Awesome. You must be special. For somebody that important to come and spend time with you, special, just you, wow, what's your secret? Well, let me tell you. Now I want to know, I'm going to emulate that. That's what's going on here. Paul doesn't want that. Some, somebody covered all this. He was supported by other churches during this mission work, not them. If they ignore the truth that Paul taught, then those churches were robbed. Man, I'll tell you, those words, that ought to cut us down. When we go and we do some hard work and like, hey, someone, someone spent some time and effort and came in here and did something really nice for us and none of it stuck, we're just all ignored, then what Paul's saying is, I robbed those churches blind. I took their money for missions work. I told them I was going to come tell you guys about Jesus. 
and that some would believe. And as far as I can tell, none believed. So now I'm a liar, and I'm a robber, and i got to go back and tell those guys that I robbed them. You know better than that. I can hear it already. You know better than that. Oh, I know, I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But Paul's not going to change his mission style, and for good reason. Paul's method of mission work relies on believers to fuel the mission. This isn't about setting up a booth and taking, soliciting uh, money or, or goods and services from those who do not know Jesus in order to tell those same people about Jesus. Paul claims that this shows the church is growing by faith and not works. I agree. The church grows because people are not investing in it with works. They're not giving money in order to be a member. They're not buying their way into their salvation. Now, this sounds pretty cut and dried today, but when I was growing up, I mean, they're they're still on TV today, right? There's plenty of health and wealth gospels. Right now, we could turn a TV on and absolutely see somebody saying, hey, you you got some hurt in your life? Somebody out there right now is enduring pain. They're being fleeced endlessly by these folks that are telling them that you, by by taking an action, by giving money, by buying this, by rubbing that and reading this and standing or sitting or facing or turning, by doing these things, you will be saved. Contribute to me, that buys your salvation. Not maybe not your salvation, but it'll buy a good grace. Right? What What you sow, you'll reap. All nonsense. Paul's saying, I didn't, you reap, you sowed nothing into me financially. Nothing. But what you reaped was a free gift of God, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And you're forgetting that because other people showed up and they promised you something that's easier for you to hold on to, something you can see every day. Health and wealth and new clothes and affiliation with a, with a, with a group of people that are very powerful and seemingly important. That's more important to you right now than doing the work of Christ. These false apostles want to be paid for their work. They're happy to bless these guys, happy to take care of them, but it's going to cost them. We show us the money. We have no time to just help somebody out. That's what Paul's gig was. No, thank you. We're here to get paid. You want to come into our prayer circle where we talk about and pray about, uh, you know, I can lay my hands on you, but you have to pay the cover charge to get into our prayer circle. Now, if we said that here today, imagine red flags would go up everywhere. But you'd you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many churches are doing that this morning. You can have a special prayer time. You can meet the pastor, but you have to give a specific amount of money. You have to be in the gold club. You have to be a diamond member. That's exactly what's going on here. Just like Satan, they're disguised as bringers of life, but they bring death. They seem to be helping him, but they're not. Paul's no fool, but don't take his word for it. So here's where we see Paul setting up this fantastic simulation of boasting. (laughs) In his own good works. That H should not be capitalized. That's, that's a lowercase H. That's Paul that I'm talking about there, not Jesus' own good works. Jesus' good works were exceptionally good works and are boastworthy, but not Paul. So first he compares himself to these false prophets. What they claim to be, Paul is more so. Now this is just a basic level set. Oh, I'm from, uh, I'm a, I was once a Jew. So I'm like, I've been one of God's people for a long time. Paul's like, yeah, me too. Well, I'm the son of Abraham. Yeah, me too. Right? Whatever they're claiming their pedigree of religiosity, Paul's that. Paul was once a Jew, was once a real mucky muck of a Jew, right? I mean, he was a big-time Jew, powerful guy, killed Christians at behest of, of the powers that be in Judaism, right? He was, he was a Jew's Jew, if you will. Took that really seriously, knows the word, forward and backward. So whatever claims they make to the pedigree of their religion, how far back they go with God, Paul's got them beat, 
And then he lays out all of his good works, all of which are suffering. Every single one of them. And the irony here to me is palpable. I mean, I can almost, as they're reading this letter that they get from him, I can almost see them rolling their eyes. Okay. Paul's bragging about how much he suffered. Now, we do this today. People brag about the suffering. Woe is me, that thing that happens today. But in this time period, suffering would not have been bragged about. This is what I was reading about in commentaries. Suffering was seen as failure or penance or punishment. So if something bad happened to you, that meant you did something wrong. So if you think about like getting in trouble with the law, let's say you got stopped for drinking. You're reticent to tell everybody about that. Oh, well, I spent the night in jail again. I got busted for DUI. Because you wouldn't expect it to be like, oh, no, that's so sad. They'll be like, what are you doing drinking and driving? People would be angry with you. At this time, that's basically how suffering in general was understood. Your land was arid and it wouldn't grow anything. You fell and broke your leg. Don't come near my house. Don't bring that jinx onto me. Whatever you did, keep it with you. I don't want any trouble. So nobody would have been bragging about, well, this happened to me and I got beaten and stoned. Just like people today wouldn't be bragging about getting picked up for, you know, drinking again or abusing their family members. Nobody brags about that today because it's seen as wrong. Now, suffering is not wrong. At that time, it was perceived that way. Suffering went hand in hand with the idea that you did something wrong and you must have deserved it. So as Paul goes on this long list of boasting, which today kind of sounds like, well, you know, people do that all the time. Well, I, you know, I got in trouble, you know, someone, light, lightning hit and, uh, you know, the house caught fire and it burned down and now we're out of this and that. And that what they want is sympathy. They want people to feel bad for them. That's really not what Paul's going for here. Paul's not trying to drum up sympathy. What Paul's trying to do is paint himself as somebody who in the eyes of these folks that are talking is seen as somebody very, very, very far from God. Look at all he's enduring. He must have done some really, really bad things to warrant that. He's not really boasting, but he's contrasting all of his works, which is effectively enduring suffering for Christ's sake, to their works, which are a bunch of Worldly things that they claim are very important. If it's boasting they want, here's what Paul's got. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, I'll tell you, if you're going to boast, that's a bold move. right? It's also a great way to diffuse situations where someone might be attacking you because of your weaknesses. Well, you're not a very good speaker. Chris, you're overweight. I am overweight. I'm overweight. By the glory of God, I'm overweight. Do I want to do better about that? Yes, I do. And in time, God may fix that for me, try my best, but it is what it is. Oh, I assumed you'd be proud of that or trying to defend it. No, I can't, right? Do you think, do you think Paul's proud of getting stoned? I doubt it. I doubt it. He's probably ashamed of it in some regards. He's a Jew. Culturally, he's thinking like, I don't want to talk about that. But if I'm going to have to boast about something, guess what it's going to be? My weakness. And he lists this as weakness. His final boast should be familiar. This is the HSV, Hecox Standard Version. He summed it up. I was in hot water with the king of Damascus. Guess what I did? I fled in the basket out a window. Not, very, not a very good boast, right? Anybody ever talked about something like that? Like somebody, broke, somebody came into my house. They kicked the door in. And so I, I, I was the first one out the back door before even the wife and kids. Huh? Like, What? Nobody's bragging about that. What you're bragging about is that I pulled my gun out and I filled him full of lead and I saved the day. All right. What Paul's saying is here comes the king. What'd you do, Paul? I ran away. Oh, 
Right? That's what he did. Why? Because he has work to do. He has work to do. I understand I could have stood the point and gone through all this rigmarole with standing and stood in the court. Here I can stand. I can do no other. We have tons of tales of other people other than Paul standing and dying, being martyred for Christ. This was not Paul's time. So guess what I did? I left. I ran away. And here I sit because of it. Huh? That gets covered in Acts a little bit more in depth. So Paul's points to ponder. <clears throat> False prophets will always be on the prowl. Steal yourselves. Two, preach the gospel without taking from those you are ministering to. Three, be bold in teaching others the truth of God. And four, humble yourself and boast only in weakness. Let's dive into these. So false prophets will always be on the prowl. Steal yourselves, right? This is exactly what Paul's trying to help them do. It's true. False prophets. Yes, they were there then. They are here now. If you want to take, if, if you're looking for a series of beliefs that align with whatever notion you've got in your head of who Jesus might be, you will find it. You name it. In 2,000 years, it's incredible to me, in just a small amount of studying church history, that you see these same heresies. I mean, I'm using heresy just as a technical term, right? I'm not trying to make this sound over grandiose, but these same heresies, is, it's like every three or 400 years. It comes up, and then they, it gets shut down because we find that it's not true, and it gets debunked. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. And a couple hundred years later, like, wait a minute. Maybe it's, uh, oh, that's a pretty good idea. And it's back. And it used to be named after this guy, and now it's, oh, it's Pelagius, now it's Arminius. And, and like, it's all the same heresy. It's, it's over and over and over. People trying to square up what they want to believe with what God says is true. No different. At this time, what we're seeing is what we would today call the health and wealth or the prosperity gospel. That's what they're doing. They are taking advantage of these people. They're telling them untruths about the way God works. But we've said it a million times, and I'll say it a million more. The best way to detect a counterfeit is to know the real thing. We use this example talking about how they train uh, secret service agents and stuff to find real money. They don't hand them counterfeit bills and show them all the different types of counterfeits. They give them real money. Study real money. Feel it. Hold it. Bend it. Fold it up. Put it in your pocket. Put it in water. Do things. Touch them. Smell that. That's what money feels like. That's what money looks like. That's how money behaves. They know it inside and out. You hand them a fake bill they've never seen once, brand new, some crazy cutting-edge counterfeit. It's fake. How? Because I know what real money feels like, and this ain't it. That's what Paul's saying. Don't worry about learning all the false teachings and putting them into columns and having like a you know, like a decoder ring when someone comes up and says, hey, what do you believe about the resurrection? Well, I believe that, it, you know, God, okay, let me just turn the wheel. Oop, that's a false teaching, right? Here it is. I know all of them, and that's one of them. No, know the truth about what Jesus did. Know the truth of the resurrection. Know the truth of the hypostatic union. Know that, learn that, find the mystery in it. Know when it's a mystery. Hey, what's the Trinity? Explain it to me. If somebody does that and says, this is the definite guaranteed explanation of how the Trinity works, let me show you. It's water. It's ice and it's steam and it's liquid. Wrong. That's not true. It's close, but it's not all the way there. And it's okay to say, I can't possibly explain it to you. It's too mysterious. I can't explain how Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. Why, that's 200%. That's not allowed. It was allowed. God said it is and it was. Can I explain it to you? No. That's okay. What happens a lot of times is false prophets will take something that's hard to explain they come up with a clever way to explain it, then they start turning the ship. A little spoon in the water. 
You put a spoon in the water for long enough, you'll move a boat. It'll take a long time, but it'll probably do something. That's what happens. And they give them a bigger spoon. They get more money. And pretty soon, they're driving the boat, and you can't figure out what's going on anymore. Since time immemorial, they have been around. And we must steal ourselves through study and prayer to be ready to thwart this. There's nobody else that's going to do it. If God was about striking false prophets with lightning, he'd have been doing it back in Paul's era. And Paul would have said, oh, don't worry about it. Listen to whoever you want. You don't need to worry about that. God will be striking them dead soon enough. No. Learn the word. Spend time together. Iron, sharpening iron. Spend that time. And let us not rely on leadership alone to be our indicator of false teaching. I, Mike, Leah, all James, when we stand on stage and we sing and we preach, we're doing our honest best to teach truth. The word of God, unadulterated. But I am not God. And the things that I say are not the word of God, unless I'm reading from the word of God verbatim. I'm going to try my best to distill and help discern A from B and C and D. But don't rely on me. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the word. Get in the word. It's on each of us to do that. Second, preach the gospel without taking from those you're ministering to. Wait, there's an offering here every Sunday. Yeah, we do. We, We gather money. We take it in. But it's for our members to support the outreach of the church. We don't want guests to give money. It's certainly not to buy their way into salvation. Not here. Now, I'm not going to name names because I can't think of any, right? But there are plenty of churches that that's the, the whole goal is, hey, get in here. Hey, you're a guest. Who wants an extra blessing today? We'll sow a seed of faith, a.k.a. write us a check. Write us a check. There's a thing called the placebo effect. It works in medicine. It works in giving, Right? It's amazing when you do something that you feel is good. I wrote a check for $1,000 today at church, and I heard that's going to sow. I sowed that seed of faith, and I'm going to reap a blessing this week. Every week, you're going to find a blessing in your life. I bet on it. It's like horoscopes. You'll face challenges today. Oh, how insightful. (laughs) I can't believe it. How did it know? Oh, you've got to be kidding me, right? You'll take a deep breath. (gasps) It knew. Just when I read it, I did it. It saw the future. No, it didn't. It said obvious truths, things that are ubiquitous, always going to happen. But when a blessing comes, people say, that's because I sowed that seed of faith. I did that. Then on Wednesday, I got a thing that my, my kid got into this, that got picked on the team, and it's because of that $1,000. It could have been because your kid did a great job at the tryouts. But no, it's probably the money you gave to the church, and the church is happy to tell you, come back and do it again. Next year, we'll get $1,500. I can't wait to see what's going on. Who, who wants to tell, say later on, oh, I got fleeced. I got fleeced for ten grand trying to sow seeds of faith. What a fool. Oh, no. Buyers are more assets in. We want to keep quiet about that. No, no, it's worked out great. I'll continue to do it, absolutely. I don't want to look like an idiot, so I'm going to just keep where I am and say that everything's okay. Too late to retreat. We do not want money from guests. Nobody here is going to buy salvation, not going to pay for our time. You don't tip for the service. That's not what we're here to do. This is all voluntary time. The church requires things, right? Lights, power, heat, cool, streaming stuff, right? We're trying to reach the, the maximum amount of people that we can. That does take money. But it isn't about a, it's not about getting people you know, on a payment plan so they can get their way into heaven. Churches should not want funds beyond their membership. Some people, as I was going to go up and say, well, that's not, that's not true. I disagree with that. Happy to argue with you about it. Churches should not want for funds beyond their membership. If you don't go here, we do not want your money. I don't want your money. Mike just said that's right. He doesn't want it. If you're not a member here, we have no use for your funds. We want this church to be financed the way that God's churches were financed. And that's by people that believe in the mission of the church. 
Now, if somebody came in here and said, okay, God, let me to give you some money. I've got excess. I'll, you know, we're probably not going to say, no, absolutely not. I'm not one to necessarily give, but we're not soliciting for that. The goal is not to raise funds. Paul, when he's talking about that with him, is reminding him of that. I didn't come to Corinth for your money. I never asked for it. I didn't even accept it when offered, which was kind of a slight in some regards. But he said, no, no, no. It maintains the purity of my message. I'll take nothing from you. I only give good news from Jesus. I want nothing in return. That's our mission too. If you're a guest and you're hearing this, you think, oh, I know why they want me to join their church. I know why they ask for members every Sunday because they want more money. Not true. Not true. If this church had no need to pay for anything, I think, why wouldn't you want to bother with an offering? The whole thing's a nuisance to me. Believe me. Third, be bold in teaching others the truth of God. Now, Paul uses what I would say is a tremendously hyperbolic method. It's, it's you know, super-duper sarcastic. It's way out there to show how foolish boasting is. But let's remember, this is the Word of God. God breathed those words that Paul used and the method that he's using to teach. This extreme, I'm going to act like a fool. I'm going to argue from a place of absurdity. Oh, let me show you all my boasts. I got beaten to death. And, you know, like, you're not boasting. Paul does this in the Word of Let us be so bold to take time to explain creatively. You know why he did that? Because it was a, an excellent way to explain to them how absurd it is to boast in anything but God. That's the entire point. If you don't get it, go back and reread it. His entire point is all I could ever boast, knowing what I know about God and what Christ did, the only thing I can ever boast in is my weakness. Paul's notion here is where we see the, 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 uh, the, the kernel planted for sayings, the only thing that I contributed to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's it. That's the same idea. Only thing that I've got, the only thing that I bring to the table is weakness. There's no strength in me that is of any value other than that which God has put in me. That's it. So yeah, you want Paul to brag about him? Sure. I'm weak and frail and I can't speak and I'm hunched over and I'm beaten and I'm sore and I'm, you know, I got stoned and I'm hungry and I was near death and I almost froze to death and one time I almost, you know, died of heat stroke and like, yeah, there you go. There's all my boasts. I'm terrible at everything and suffered a great deal. I don't, well, that's not worth boasting about. Exactly. But let's, let us be so bold. When we're talking to other people and they want to bring up something, they want to postulate. We talked about in a small group today in 10, this idea of being ready to tear down strongholds. You know, when someone comes up, and what are these strongholds? Sometimes they are people that are dead set against the gospel. They have a false understanding of who God is, an errant belief about what they say the Bible says. How can we tear down a stronghold if we don't even understand the weapons that we wield? That's what Paul's saying. Learn this. Paul knows the truth, and he's trying to communicate to them in a creative way. All right, let me talk about boasting. I'll take it to the other end. An example of the kind of thing I would boast in. And as he paints that picture, I'm sure they're like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. The Holy Spirit, as usual, does all the hard work. We just need to be bold and faithful. If it feels like, I don't know, man, someone asked me a question, I don't understand the answer to it. There's, two, there's probably an answer, and the answer might well be, I don't know. <laughs> That's Okay. But if there's a question and someone asks you, I, mean, you say, I feel like I should know that. I feel like I heard about that, but I don't know how to explain it. Bring it up. We want to talk about that. We are here as a church to equip one another for the work of Christ. And that does mean understanding the Word of God. And finally, humble yourself and boast only in weakness. I think for me, this is the hardest one of all. We love to let others know how humble we are. Oh, boy. Humble brag. Has anybody ever heard that term? Right? Like about how, how, how tired I am or 
Uh, one that always bothers me is people fishing for compliments by starting with a suffer. I am so tired today. You're like, why are you tired today? Oh, you asked? Well, thanks for asking. It's because I was up late because of all these things I had to do. I'm like, yeah, well, you could have just said that. But no, instead you wanted to, oh, I'm just so sore. <sighs> yeah, I know, we're all sore. Yeah, but why? Don't you want to know why? Nope, don't want to know why. <clears throat> but anyway, Paul's point here is like, you can boast of suffering. Paul's not doing that here. Some people argue that that's, it's fine. You should boast of suffering, just like Paul did. Remember, as we read through that, all those, I'm speaking like a fool. Now, this is foolishness. Let me be foolish for a minute. Please come with me as I be a fool. Paul knows what he's doing is still not good. You don't boast of your shortcomings. You can, but you shouldn't. That would still be boasting about you. What Paul's boasting about here isn't, look at all the suffering I did. What Paul's boasting about is basically like saying, let me brag about how bad I am. I'm terrible. Hey, hey, Chris, why don't you boast about yourself? All right. I'm short-tempered. I'm overweight. Uh, I'm not athletic. I drive too fast. Uh, you know, like, what? You're a terrible bragger. Like, that's Paul's point. Yeah, I got nothing to brag about. Everything I've got is detritus by comparison to what Christ has done for me. I don't want to waste time boasting about myself. It's no good. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Talk about your, ah, forget that. Let me talk about Jesus. How was your spring break? It's fine. But let me talk about Jesus. Everybody ever done that? Everybody ever come to you? Hey, how was your spring break? Uh, who cares? Let me talk about Jesus. I've never done that. Paul would have, I bet. <laughs> how was your trip? Eh, it's all right. But listen, there is one way to get to God. And it's Jesus Christ. You're like, oh, this again, Paul? I just really want to know how your trip was. I don't have time for that. There's, two, there's no time, right? We can boast about all kinds of nonsense, good, bad in our lives. Paul doesn't do that. Paul's boasting here is the boast of a madman. The lesson is don't boast about anything but God. But if somebody really wants to try to boast about themselves, what Paul's showing us here is we should arrive at this place where it's like, yeah, I don't really have anything to boast about. If you force my hand, I'm just going to have to tell you all the stuff that I'm thankful God has transcended in my life. My lack of belief. God overcame that. My lack of understanding, God overcame that too. So what about us? What can we do? Pray, study the word of God. It is the truth 100%. There's nothing in the book that's a lie. In your mission work, regardless of scale, keep the gospel free. Now I'm talking about, I'm going out to lunch with a friend at work. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Buy their lunch. Drive them. Right? easy to do. Don't make them pay for your, if they want to go Dutch, that's fine, but don't make them pay for your lunch. Don't try to, you know, hey, score a free lunch while, like, well, while we're here. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Take that opportunity. Show them that this costs them nothing. Little things. Of course, larger scale, we go out and reach out to people. We want to provide for them. We want them to know through tiny bits of giving that there are other people, not just me presenting the gospel, but other people that are behind this for you. If you want to take someone out to lunch and you can't afford lunch, let us know. We'll get you a gift card. Right? And you could say that my church is buying us lunch today. I'm fine with that. Our church is paying for this lunch so I can tell you about Jesus. That might get some eyebrows raised. Let's do that. Just let me know. Right? We'll work something like that out. Keep the gospel free. Don't take from those that we're going to minister to. Third, consider teaching. Even a small group or your family. What Paul's talking about here is he's not a great speaker. He's a good writer. He knows that other people can speak better than him, but they don't know more than him. I think it's an encouragement to us that yeah, we can learn to teach. We can understand the Word of God and be able to help people communicate it, help them understand it as we understand it. Knowing who Jesus is, that's a wonderful thing. Knowing Him in, in, in fullness and understanding more about the Word, that's great. 
But if we have an opportunity to teach others to do that, that's even better. And finally, remain humble knowing that only through God's grace can we do anything. This breath, that's grace. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I can do to to bring myself back to life. If that breath stops, it's all God. And that's where Paul ends up here. It's never about Paul. In, In ultimate humility, he's stating God's grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth, the profound truth, the eternal, the timeless truth that is in your word, Lord. I pray that anybody that heard this today and uh, maybe feels their heart being rent a bit, confused maybe, trying to figure out how all this stacks up and how they can walk closer with Christ or walk with Christ maybe for the first time, Lord, that they'll reach out. We're here. We want to talk. We want to pray with them. We want to minister with them. This is very serious business. Much like Paul talks about, it's easy to think that we've got all the time in the world and uh, there's plenty next week. There's always next week or next month, Lord, but we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised 10 seconds from now, Lord. Help us to bear that in mind. There's an urgency because nothing is guaranteed. When When we take time to speak to other people and we be bold in preaching and we teach folks the things that, that we understand and we, we, we sh- sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And Lord, that we're, we're doing this with a, with a degree of urgency that the world needs to know the truth. There are folks lost out there and you've called us to minister to them. It's your decision to do it that way and you have chosen this method. And Lord, help us to take that seriously as a church. Thank you for this time together. 